quick. Wanted to make sure that you it's nigh. I understand what it says. The end is nigh. That means the same thing. Now, there's one thing that you can't see about this. I, I don't know if I can scroll it up or not. No, okay. At the very bottom of this cartoon is the caption that says, I've been at this for 30 years. The topic of the end of the world has been around for a lot longer than 30 years, but it has been around for a long time. And every generation since the coming of Christ has thought that they are the generation. This is the time that the world is going to end. So today, we ourselves are going to start the, uh, the study of the last things. Uh, we use the term eschatology, right? So the Greek is uh, eschatos, meaning last, and of course, uh, ology, meaning the study of. This term was first used in um, 1844 in English. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary defines this as part of theology concerning death, judgment, final destiny of the soul, and humankind. Now this subject is so complex, I barely know where to begin. Fortunately, I know where it ends. It, it, that has been stuck, that little phrase right there has been stuck in my head for the past week. I could not get it out, so praise Jesus. I am free from that pun, because it would not go away. All right, so the end of days. It has always held a fascination for people. Uh, everyone's so concerned about when this is going to take place. This starts uh, in many forms. You can see it in comic strips in your paper or in comic books. They look just like this. The end is near. The uh, comic of the crazy old man walking around with a sign proclaiming that the end of the world is nigh. It's uh, right upon us. There's also people who have written books uh, proclaiming such things as uh, 88 reasons why the rapture will happen in 1988. Oops. Uh, there's, uh, oh, other books, uh, the popular Left Behind series, right? A combination, as it, as it says on the cover, a combination of fact and fiction. It's hard to delineate where that actually starts. But um, supposedly, uh, uh, you have uh, just a combination of the two combined into those series somewhere. Um, we have uh, movies, many, many, many movies, right? Uh, hold on just a moment.
Oh, this, this is working great. It's awesome. My uh, tablet has decided it doesn't want to show you the movies I'm talking about. We'll have to do it uh, a different way. You'll get to see everything. Don't peek ahead. Oh, I broke it. All right, I broke it well and good indeed. All right, so there's this Wikipedia page. Because Wikipedia is our Bible. There we go. There is a complete list of apocalyptic films, um, which can't be read. Uh, but it starts uh, before 1950. Uh, there's a list for 50 through 59. 60 through 69, so each decade has its, uh, its own list of films, and it just, believe, those are all film names, trust me. Uh, into the 80s, this includes things like um, Logan's Run, personal favorite, Omega Man, um, ooh, Battle Truck, uh, The Day After, um, the Millennium, The Martian Chronicles, uh, When the Wind Blows, World War III, Twelve Monkeys, Armageddon, The Arrival, End of Days, The End of Evangelion, uh, just tons and tons of movies that all have to deal with uh, the end of the world. Twenty years later, the list goes on and on. I'm sure you can think of your favorites, too. Um, so there, I mean, it's no surprise that this is a, this is a topic that we, you know, pretty much have to discuss, right? Uh, society in and of itself is fascinated by it. Okay, you can stop now. Disconnect. There we go. That was a picture of the cosmos, by the way. That has no bearing on what we're talking about right now. There we go. So I'm sure you all have your favorite piece of uh, fiction or faction. I don't know how you'd combine those two words. Uh, that discusses the end of days. Personally, I was a big, uh, big fan of uh, Armageddon. I thought it was a really well done movie. Um, not plausible, but you know. And its sister film, Deep Impact. <laughs> Got to give some props, right? All right, so, uh, but one of my all-time favorite, believe it or not, was The Seventh Seal. And in all of these films, there is one commonality. Through the end of the, the world, no matter what circumstances are coming upon it, humankind is trying to beat to, to stop the progression, to do whatever it can so that the world will survive. All of humankind's hope is, 
is uh, encapsulated in making sure that we are able to survive as a race on this planet. It's the same thing for any dystopian film, like I mentioned, Logan's Run, that type of thing. It's all our hope is tied up in humanity. It's tied up in still being alive, still breathing, uh, still being able to live our lives in one capacity or another. Um, it's uh, surviving, though all odds are against us. Think uh, Mad Max, one, two, three, four, blah, blah, blah. Right? That's, that's the encapsulation of all of them. Our hope is in our humanity. Because our humanity is what makes us great, right? Our humanity and our ability to take uh, things that would cause our downfall and to overcome them and to uh, supersede any obstacle that is in our way. It's all about what we can do because we are resilient, which makes sense because we're mostly water, so we should be able to flow over any type of obstacle, overcome any type of thing, as long as there is some piece of humanity alive, there is still hope. So even though the world will recognize that there is going to be an end, that you can't get away from the fact that there is going to be death, you can't get away from the fact that this world as we know it now is going to cease to exist in its present form, albeit science tells us it'll be nine billion years before our sun finally blows out. And as soon as that happens, then, of course, we will simply be too cold to sustain life. But in the meantime, present day, we're doing everything we can to heat this puppy up. Now, scientists will tell you that global warming is going to destroy the human race before our sun blows out. We're headed for destruction. And the only hope for humankind is in our ability to overcome things. And that is what the world will tell you. So though they don't deny the fact that the end is coming, the only hope to avoid that end is humanity's action. We even have saved a seed of every type of plant in a vault that recently got flooded, by the way, because we're great engineers. They didn't think they would need to because it was under permafrost and apparently the planet got too hot and the permafrost is melting. So, <sighs> humans, I tell you. So we do everything that we can to steel ourselves against this dystopian future that we see that is coming, that we know that is going to exist, and our only hope as we see it as a race is to rely on our own ingenuity, on our own planning, on our own skill to overcome all of these type of things. Praise the Lord, we have something better than that. That is so sad. Just thinking about me being my only hope scares me to death. Not literally, because I'm still standing here. But it's scary when you think that our only hope of survival is our government. Our only hope of survival is our military. Our only hope of survival is that somebody stops that crazy guy in North Korea before he pushes the button. 
our only hope of survival is the infallibility of man? Whoa. It's not going to happen. It is not possible for us to stay off our own execution, to stay off the end, as it were. Fortunately, we have something that gives us a better picture of what the end of the world looks like. And though there's some trouble, some would say some tribulation during it, we have a hope, a hope that is more secure than merely placing it within our own hands, a hope that is more secure than any human could ever hold it, any human could ever plan for, any contingency that may come our way. When the end of the world comes, we shouldn't be running around scared trying to do whatever we can to make it not happen. Because though you may see that be successful in the movies, that will not be successful. The problem is, in the movies, the only thing they're really trying to do is to make sure that there are people that are living and breathing, that are alive. They're trying to preserve the what is because they have no hope for the what will be. We have an opportunity through reading God's word to discover something more permanent than that. We have the opportunity to take hold of a greater hope that does not fade away. We have opportunity to take hold of a hope that is not reliant upon our own works, what we can do. In fact, we're told that there is nothing that we can do. It is not reliant on our own works. Our understanding of what the Bible teaches is can and will inform the entirety of our lives. Amen? This includes the end of days. This includes the study of the last. Whether we are conscious of it or not, the way that we understand even the end of time will affect how we live our lives in the here and now. We should focus the eschatological. Thank you. Eschatological. I've been saying this all week. I've been practicing like in a mirror, right? Eschatological. And it fails me now. Our eschatological focus should not just be on future events, but also events that have already taken place. Because the world has been on the countdown to its end since the fall of man. The plan has been put into action before the advent of Jesus walking this earth in human form. The plan was put into action fully upon his death and resurrection. So there are things that have already taken place that inform our view of what will take place. Now we've spent the last 10 months here since January, focusing on uh, 
um, learning more about the person of Jesus from every angle, right? Uh, We've studied who he is from his birth to his death to his resurrection. We've taken time to separate out uh, myths and fiction, to separate legends, to clear the jungle of all those things that would seek to obscure a pure picture of who Jesus is. So we're continuing that because all of our hope this year is that we would be able to make better the foundation that we have here so that when we are not here, we are still strong and secure. That there is nothing that could shake us off of that foundation. So anything that would come our way, we would always be ready to explain our hope. It's not uh, something that would stumble us. So our phrase for, well, the last several years, and we'll continue for a couple more here, is when my endeavors draft futility, God's answer inspires lasting beauty. We've already gone over when my endeavors and draft. Does anybody remember what those stand for? W-M-E-D. There you go. This year has all been about being faithful and being grounded and the beauty in that. And I think that we've been doing a a fairly good job of taking hold of those different things that would speak against who the person of Jesus is, that would cloud our understanding of who Jesus is, and giving us uh, an opportunity to grow stronger in our knowledge of who he is. Now, we've been called to action with that hope and with that understanding the direction of this church as God has uh, guided us to uh, really just an outreach, right? Basically, we've equipped ourselves to the point that there is no reason that we should not be fulfilling that great commission to go out and make disciples of all men. This is where our attention should be. This is our call to action. Now, the first century church lived their lives with that understanding that they needed to spread the gospel. They lived with an understanding that the end was coming very soon. Jesus would be returning soon, as he said, and this is reflected in everything that they do. It's reflected in the communities that would build up very quickly, the way the word was spread, the churches that were planted, the journeys of the different missionaries, the lives of the apostles, It's reflected in the the different uh, councils, all with the the idea of focusing our understanding of God's Word and putting into action um, what we've been called to do. So today, we're basically laying the foundation for our beginning of a study in a mere four weeks Um, eschatology. With all of that in mind, 
So we need to lay down some best basic understandings so that we're ready for us to go through this as, as uh, quickly as possible. Because four weeks is not really enough time for me to spend to give you a full picture of all the different views and all the different prophecies and an understanding so that you can say, I know all of this. So the hope is, is that we give you a good enough understanding that you'd be able to continue and study on your own, because as I always say, it's, a, it's very important that you don't just take our word for it. It's very important that you get into the word yourself, and that you study for yourself, and that you are prepared yourself to be, answer, uh, to be able to answer those questions and explain your hope. The, the answer should not be, well, my pastor tells me. So general, uh, generally, eschatology is divided into two separate studies. The first, there is the general eschatology. This is the study of what happens to us individually when we die physically and what our future life will be like in the presence of God in heaven or separated from Him in eternal damnation. So that's general... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, that's our general eschatology, talking about us, our personal lives, what happens when we die that type of thing. Um, then there's the study of special eschatology. This is the study of events that conclude the history of the world as we know it prior to the day of judgment. There are uh, some terms that we'll be using. Uh, Colin, I believe there's a glossary list that you can put up on the screen. Jacqueline said she set it up beforehand. On it. All right. So there are some basic terms that uh, that we're going to be using, and uh, we should have it momentarily for you. We have 1080p 60 hertz NTSCology. So the first word is uh, eschatology. There we go. Uh, so that's just basically the study of last things or end times. We'll be talking about uh, millennium thousand-year reign of Christ described in Revelation 20. We'll be talking about the Olivet Discourse, uh, Christ's prophetic discourse recorded in Matthew 24 through 25, also in Mark 13 and Luke 21. It's his reply to his disciples' questions about the destruction of the temple, the end of the age, and his return. We'll be talking about things like uh, preterism. It's a viewpoint saying that basically most of this stuff has already taken place uh, by, the, by the time the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Scroll down a little too far. <laughs> all right. That's all right. Um, we have uh, post-millennialism, the view which holds that the kingdom of God is now being extended in the world through the preaching of the gospel and the saving work of the Holy Spirit, Christ will return after a long period of righteousness called the millennium. See millennium up above. We have amillennialism. Amillennialism. <laughs> we have no millennium. That's what that means. Uh, most of the advocates of this system refer to the millennium as a period between the ascension of Christ and the loosing of Satan. And during that time period... 
an advancement of both good and evil. With the loosing of Satan comes the time of intense persecution of the church, followed by the glorious return of Christ. Uh, Premillennialism. The view that Christ will return to earth to establish an earthly millennial kingdom. I'm having a tough time today with that. Over which he will reign from an, on an earthly throne. Dispensationalism, the view that human history is divided into different dispensations, different periods of time where God treats humanity according to the governing principles particular to that time and place, that uh, dispensation. Accordingly, a strong distinction is made between Israel and the church. Uh, we have the rapture, literally means to be snatched away, the raising of those who are alive when the dead are resurrected, now, according to dispensationalists, this is the coming of Christ in the air for his saints prior to tribulation. Then, of course, we have the tribulation. The dispensational belief in a seven-year period of earth troubles that occurs between the coming of Christ for his saints, the coming of Christ with his saints, this seven-year period is associated with the 70, 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. I also have a note there to see pre, post, mid, and pan. because you're either pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, or pan-trib, meaning in the end it'll all pan out. That's Pastor Monty's view right there. It'll all pan out in the end. So I'll have this each week for you. We may add some few, a few more words or whatever. I can make that available as well so you can add it. Uh, now there are many different things that... Um, that are believed by different interpretations. But there are uh, a few key things that are believed by everyone. Uh, so you're not necessarily going to come away today with a, an understanding of any of these things. In fact, we're barely even scratching the surface on any of them today. But you will have a basic understanding of all the things that must be understood that there's no question about. Colin, could you scroll that screen down just a little bit to that first figure by any chance? No, the first figure, not the second one. There we go. So there's an eternity past before creation. Then you have creation. Then you have God revealing his plan of redemption. Then you have the consummation of that plan, which is the birth, the life, the death, the defeating of death by Jesus, and then you have eternity in the future. We've got to have those basics in there, right? You believe that there is one true God, created all things. Then man fell, God launched his plan of redemption through the fall of man to the birth of Jesus, through the life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then... Jesus ascending and the consummation of that. And then we have everything that comes after that. That's really all we really need to, to be concerned with, right? We need to know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that He died for us. We know that He conquered that death. And because He conquered that death, because he was victorious, we can all be victorious in that. 
Go ahead and scroll up to the next one. A little bit, a little bit more of a, a micro scale here, here. So from the creation, you have the fall, the messianic promise to Adam, judgments by flood with the promise to Noah, the promise to Abraham, promise to Moses, and to David. During that time period, you have the tabernacle and temple being built, destroyed, built, destroyed, destroyed. Uh, I missed a built in there. Uh, Israel's captivity. You have Jesus' birth and death coming. You have God's covenant expanded to include all people and nation, which is the, the good news. And then you have the final judgment at Christ's return. These are basic understandings of eschatology. All of these things, in one way, shape, or form, fits into all of the different beliefs or understandings of the prophecies as they stand. How those things work out is debated, and that's why we have pre, post, mid, and pen. So with that said, there's some basics that we need to have. Whenever we read the Word of God, there are basic things that we must do in order to read that. We just finished up in all of our Bible studies throughout this year reading how to read the Bible for all its worth. So what are some of the things in that book that we learned about that you think we should probably be applying to the passages that deal with the end of times? Context. Who's it written to? Right? We have two words that we use, right? Hermeneutics and homiletics. Are those new words? Do we remember what they mean? Hermeneutics? Anybody? I'm sorry, Kelsey. <laughs> Hermeneutics is... It's one or two. Anybody want to help her? Hermeneutics. So who it's written to, the time it was written, the language it was written, the understanding of the people that were there, what they would understand it to be written as, that's hermeneutics. All right. So with that, we have to take uh, this understanding when we look at the prophecies that are taking place here. Um, <clears throat> now, prophecy, of course is when God makes himself known to chosen individuals supernaturally by means of special revelation. And this enables those persons to speak for him to others. So since the Bible has been completed, we have, uh, we have 66 books of the Bible. That is, uh, that's our best source, our most reliable guide, as it were, for everything that we'll be discussing. In certain times in history, God has communicated supernaturally to explain the plan for restoring humanity. 
Uh, prophecy is not constantly available to all humans. It is visible only to those who hear the message at the time it is given. Uh, there may be a preserved record of it, a prophetic revelation which may be passed down or passed on to be examined, but the direct revelation is usually only tied to the time and place where it's given. It's very specific in that. Prophecy is objective. It is not subjective. This is not uh, Nostradamus that we're talking about here. It doesn't change based on the circumstances and um, you know, the, the time that we're studying it. It can be studied by the rules of language in which it was given and recorded per preservation. Prophecy may be directed towards just one era or people rather than to all people. And prophecy is preserved beyond its time of origin by its placement in Scripture. The purpose of predictive prophecy is to prepare people on earth so that they will have the proper response to God's activity when it takes place. The Old Testament's redemptive prophecy was to prepare the world for the Messiah's coming, for example. Um, it did not give explicit details of exactly how, why, and when it would take place but it gave uh, many different marking points that would say this is the time, this is the place. And as the moment of the birth of Jesus approached, there were few that clearly understood what exactly was about to happen. Much of the New Testament prophecy is to prepare the world and the church for the uh, coming events in God's plan for the return of the Messiah the end of the church age, and it doesn't give us explicit details about when and how. In fact, we are told specifically that no one knows the hour or the day, right? Eschatological prophecy helps us to see the final goal and purpose of God's creation. We learn how things are moving forward towards that goal and purpose. All this happens as history unfolds around us, and it shows us how God's divine decree fits into the world. So we are all constrained by Scripture to believe in the visible and bodily return of Jesus Christ. We are also constrained to know that there will be a resurrection of people from every age, and thirdly, that there will be judgment of all people from every age. There are many signs that will precede this. And these can be found all throughout the Bible. I'm just going to go through um, a few of these signs real quick. Most of these uh, can be found in uh, the Olivet Discourse, specifically in Matthew, which is, uh, as we stated up above in our summary, our, our syllabus there, Matthew 24. <clears throat> there are eight signs that are listed there. Number one, that the, there will be a false way of using Christ's name. There will be those that come claiming to be him. There will be many wars, there will be famine, 
There will be earthquakes. There will be a persecution, that being a hurting or killing of Christians. There will be apostasy. There will be many false religious teachers. And there will be great decadence of evil and a declining of love. There are also other signs in the New Testament. These can be found in passages in 1 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, um, and even um, in the Old Testament in uh, Ezekiel. Uh, So there will be growing signs of sin. There will be a false security in self, selfishness and love of money, lack of rational respect or relational respect, pardon me, an insatisfaction and sinfulness, a lack of love. There will be a spreading of the good news throughout the world, and the Jews will return to their homeland. These are all things that are signs of the end of the days. So I would like you to take today and take this coming week, now that we have all of that basic information available to us, to think about the different things that you see going on in the world today and how they match up with the sign of the days. Now, keeping in mind that as we do this, we come from it with a biblical perspective, a biblical understanding. Uh, We can't simply say, well, since there was a tsunami in Japan, obviously the end is coming. Since there were hurricanes in Puerto Rico, in Florida, in Texas, well, obviously the end of the world. We can't say the world will end in October. No, no, wait. It will end in November. No, no, wait. It's just going to be a really bad time for everyone for the next month, starting November 12th. We have to look at things with a reasonable and accurate eye. While we're doing that, we'd like to take time in cell groups now to just kind of ponder some of these questions that I have for you. And these aren't necessarily really, really deep questions, but I really, really want to know what you guys think about. So I want to know how many of you have actually thought about the last days and what your actually thoughts were about those. It's important to know where we all come from in that, what we've all studied in that, to come to an understanding of what our eschatological understanding is We have to be able to discuss these things. And secondly, I would like to know how your thoughts on the end of the world have affected your decisions that you make now for your future. Because believe it or not, they've had an impact. Before we go to cell groups, I can just share. It's it's scary. In my youth, in my lack of full understanding, I've said this before, I was afraid to have children. Well, because, you know, 88 ways that the world ends in 1988, that's when I was around. So, I was not going to bring children into this world knowing that they would face the destruction, the tribulation, and the end of the world because it was not fair to them. That's how my understanding at that point in time of the end of the world changed and altered what my future looked like. 
Obviously, I've grown in understanding, and as you can tell, I have three children now. So my understanding has grown. I'm better informed. But I would like you to share in your cell groups where you're at how your understanding of the end of the world affects the decisions you make now for your future. Let's go and discuss, and then we'll come back and have communion.